Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Hi, I'm Ben Sawyer, and I'm the co-host of the Road to Now podcast on the Osiris Podcast Network. Each week, my partner Bob Crawford and I speak with experts to discover how history has shaped the politics, culture, and economy of the world we inhabit. 
I'm a history professor and stand-up comic, and Bob is a founding member of the Avett Brothers with a deep knowledge of history and theology. Together, we work to bring history to the public in a way that is informative, accessible, and we hope, entertaining. You can find the Road to Now podcast anywhere you get this Osiris podcast, or on our website at www.theroadtonow.com. That's www.theroadtonow.com. We hope you'll join us on the road and that you thoroughly enjoy this episode of our fellow Osiris podcast. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode number 161. Uh, my name is Jonathan, and I'm here with Matt. How are you doing, Matt? Hey, man. I am doing great. I coming back from a weekend of awesome music out at the Watermelon Park Music Festival and uh, feeling recharged and ready to take on the world. Cool. I, I saw RJ posted some pictures from there. Did you leave him up on the mountain? Yeah, so you know, there's that whole uh, paddle fest right here, banjo music thing, and uh, there was quite a bit of, of paddling and floating and banjo music, and I don't know, man, he just uh, he went off into the into the mountains and he's having a walkabout or something, and um, hopefully we'll see him again soon. <laughs> yeah, would be nice, and I presume uh, Brad is still floating wherever RJ left him a few weeks back. That's exactly right. <laughs> okay, well, let's... Um... We have a couple things to cover in this episode. We have a guest that we'll get into that interview in a minute. But first, we really got to talk about the Vita Blue show we saw. Hell yeah. So by now, everybody is aware because all three, was it three, of the shows happened? That's right. And um, we saw the first one at 930 Club, and it was pretty rad. Uh, Trey Anastasio very much did not sit in, but he sat nearby. And he was, was cool. he was sitting. He he sat for a while <laughs> in the VIP section, grinning over the balcony at the band. He was he seemed really psyched to be there, just as the rest of us were. Yeah, it was funny. You know, there was all this um, willy wony kind of drama uh, going into the show. Um, you know, people had heard rumors that Trey was in DC that day, and so there was kind that of was like true. which was one hundred percent true. And um, so there was two camps people were either like well of course he's going to sit in with page because it's his buddy but and then other people were kind of of the school of thought of like well no he's it's vita blue's first show in 15 years he's probably going to let it be and i don't know i think from my understanding is that up until the very last minute he himself may have been back and forth but regardless of that i have to say i mean as if the sort of juju of uh you know having the first Vita Blue show in 15 years wasn't enough. That definitely turned up the energy in the place to 11. Uh, a lot of anticipation. And um, the couple times that Trey sort of peeked his head out, if you know the 930 Club, there's this sort of um, perch above the stage that's connected to the green room. A couple times he, he peeked out just enough to be seen by the crowd. And it was like there was this collective raising of energy, um, which was great. And, and the music was just phenomenal, wasn't it? 
music was outstanding. Um, yeah, that's what I really want to focus on. It was great to see Vita Blue again and to see them in 930 Club again. O'Teal was uh, outstanding. Russell was killer. The new guitar player, his name is... Adam Andrew. Zimmon. Adam, thank Adam you. Zimmon. I, I kept wanting him to call him Andrew, but I know that's not right. It's not fair to him. He was terrific. Um, he had a little gear trouble, like three songs in. He stomped out to, to his tuner and couldn't get the guitar back until halfway through the next song but other than that um <laughs> when things these things happen at first shows right yeah uh, and it was interesting i went back and listened to the audience recording and we were up super close we were right in front of adam uh, a, right. couple, a couple of people from the rail which is um actually it's page side but page is not page side invited blue so there was all sorts of communication really issues yeah um but <laughs> so so we were right in front of adam and i realized when i listened to the audience tape he was not that loud in the mix and i don't know if that was just figuring out things first night or if they're just sort of like keeping him more there for texture for for most of the time we were hearing him loud and clear coming off of his amp and he was uh you know especially when they played sheep uh he was, oh, that was so really good. really really in your face um but he's i think he's a great addition to vita blue um te both textures rhythmically and then you know there's a couple of times when you just need a rock and roll guitar to step out front and play a lead uh he was he was there for it Right. And I don't think I said that Paige played great. I think I kind of skipped him, but that was an intentional page. You were awesome, as usual. Of course. So. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and the album is great. Um, it really is. I it, picked it up that night. And yep. Yeah. We were, were able to spin it. We were able to uh, get it a little bit early, uh, a couple days before release day, because they were selling it there at the merch table. And um, I haven't spun my my record yet. I have listened to it on the streaming services. Uh, excited to, um, uh, to to spin the LP because uh, this is another one cut by Chris Bellman at Bernie Grumman Mastering. So it's going to be great sounding, I'm sure. Um, it's a, it is a great sounding uh, album on on the digital stuff too, and and a lot of really good songs on it. Yeah, the LP does sound really good, and it's also a pretty blue. Yes, so if you're yes, into that is. sort of thing. If you dig the colors, <laughs> but uh, that's not why I buy them. But no. uh, I, I pulled it out, and I was like, "Oh, that's quite lovely," and then it sounded <laughs> terrific. So, yeah, yeah, all around a great time. And apparently, at the cap, page hinted at more shows to come. So let's hope that happens, so people can see this because it was well worth the time. I think I like this. Um, you know, possible future where you have fish tour in the summer, maybe a run in the fall, something around New Year's, and then all of these gaps throughout the year are filled in with like Mike touring in the winter, Trey Band doing some stuff, Vita Blue playing some stuff. I mean, let's get back, let's get Pork Tornado back together, man. Let's, let's uh, no, no. just. I want bad hats. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, um, yeah, that was a lot of fun and looking forward to that. And of course, Trey is going to be doing some shows here before too long. Mike just announced a tour for after, I guess it's after New Year's, a, a winter yeah. tour. Yeah, winter tour. And uh, and because we're recording this now, uh, New Year's will probably be announced tomorrow before this episode drops, because that's how it works. <laughs> Most likely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that'll be fun. Um, but yeah, a lot to look forward to. So. Let's uh, let's talk about this interview. Yeah, so Jonathan, you connected with Nick Sanborn. Um, and first off, just um, remind us where we might have known Nick Sanborn f uh, from before tonight. Well, Nick is one half of Sylvan Esso, which is a great duo. He's an electronic musician, and his partner, Amelia Meath, is a wonderful singer based out of Raleigh. 
and uh, they make really cool kind of housey, dancey pop music. Sweet. And and so he has been, he's kind of in with the Wisconsin, he's part of the Wisconsin group that overlaps with uh, the Megaphone guys and Justin Vernon, Boney Vare, and all of those guys. And so he's played up at the, and he gets into this in detail in the interview, but he's played up at the uh, Justin Vernon's festival up there in uh, at the Eau Claire Festival. Right, and right. a couple of times, he and this guitar player, Chris Rosenau, have done these improv sets where he's playing his electronics and Chris has a guitar and they play basically ambient instrumental music and they decided to make a record. And so this record that he's here to talk to us about is billed under the name Rosenau Sanborn and it is called Bluebird and it's beautiful. Yeah, I, I knew Nick uh, from from his time in Megaphon. Um, yeah. They, they made some great, great records. Uh um, I always love that that one that starts off. I think it's the self-titled record that starts out with real slow. Um, that that kind of thing is just really perfect for uh, you know my my kind of speed uh, in the morning or some weekend listening. I, I really got into that record a lot. Yeah, we talk about uh, his time in Megaphone too. Obvious. Well, it may not be obvious, but it may be known to some of you that I'm a huge Megaphone fan as well. I saw them and taped them a bunch of times. And yeah, so we we get into that. And then we also get into the fact that he's a huge fish fan. Awesome. Yeah. And so how did you how did you connect with Nick? Uh, you know, just the usual way you hear about an album and somebody wants to uh, talk about a record that's out. And, you know, do you know any fish blogs? I or any fish podcasts. I do know a fish podcast. And, uh, and so here we are. Uh, so we had, yeah, we had a great talk. We talk about, you know, the records, we talk about, you know, where he comes from musically. And of course we talk about his, his fish history, uh, not detailed stats, but we get first shows and some other stuff. And, uh, yeah, he, he's for real. Yeah, and that that uh, the new record, the Sanborn and Rosenau record, um, you hipped me to that when we were talking about uh, you know interviewing Nick, and um, it's a really really beautiful record. That's another one I've been kind of spinning in the office a lot recently when I um, have some work going on. It's it's very nice sort of um, pleasing background music. I'll say that anybody who listens to this record and listens to this interview, that it'll make sense when. He started listening to Fish and the kind of music that he's making here with this record, at least. Uh, there's there's a correlation. So I won't. No spoilers, though. You have to listen to find out. <laughs> but yeah, well, we'll so, and, and we'll include some music at the end uh, from that record so that you can all can uh, can get a taste of uh, what it's like. Absolutely. So hang out and hear that. But I'll tell you, you can get the album at rosenalandsanborn.com. It's actually rosenalsanborn.com. So R-O-S-E-N-A-U sanborn s-a-n-b-o-r-n dot com we'll put it in the show notes so please check it out it's terrific he's terrific and uh yeah it's a good good talk i think awesome so let's go let's go to it let's hear uh jonathan talking with nick sanborn jump right in um i want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me i really love this album bluebird 
and I'm excited to talk with you about it and how you and Chris Rosenau came together to make it. It's a real treat to listen to. Thanks so much, man. I just thanks for uh, having me on. I'm uh, I'm obviously a fan of the band and a fan of the show, so I'm I'm uh, stoked to be here. Cool, yeah. And we're gonna get into fish fandom and and the like here in a bit, and uh, I think folks are gonna enjoy that. But I, I really want to start, if you don't mind, kind of kind of back to the beginning, and just because. Partially because I didn't do super in-depth research on all of these things, and some of this stuff I only kind of know. So I was wondering if you could, we could just start at the beginning. You could tell me where you're from. Uh, yeah, I'm from uh, Middleton, Wisconsin. <laughs> um, oh, you're one of those. You're one of those Wisconsin guys. Yeah, I'm one of the Wisconsin guys. Uh, There's a whole cartel of you guys now. Well, I know you guys talk to Steve Hyden on the show every once in a while. Yeah, we're yeah. so you know that we're everywhere. <laughs> Um, and, uh, when did you start making music? Um, you know, tough to say. I, I mean, I've, I was in band and orchestra when I was a kid. Um, uh, my dad is a really great guitar and mandolin player. So, so when I was little, you know, he would teach me chord progressions and, and how to play the guitar a little bit. And, um, that always was just the coolest thing in the world to me. So I, I would, I got into, uh, playing in school kind of the minute they let you. So, uh, but, but it wasn't until, you know, it wasn't until like high school or middle school, I guess, that I really had like bands with friends or anything like that. I kind of always thought that was something that was like reserved for people who are cooler than me or something. (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) And, And since, and since then you found out that it's, uh, it, it's, if anything, it would be what makes you cool, but it really doesn't probably. It really doesn't. Yeah. yeah. And well, it's just dorks all the way down. It's, it's like the turtles thing, but it's just, it's just dorks. That's the entire music industry. <laughs> it's just nerds. It's great. Well, anybody, anybody who's a fish fan can, you know, certify that as reality because. Oh yeah. Are- yeah. I mean, and that, that was where, I mean, getting into fish, that was for me, like the gateway was being in jazz band, you know, and playing bass when I was a kid. Um, and, uh, you know, they were just at the time when, a, when a friend showed them to me when I was like, you know, 15, 14, 15, you know, that was just the, the coolest exercised version of the thing that we were all working on. You know what I mean? It was, it was cool to see that, uh, the, the, you know, all the scale practice could turn into something that we actually all thought was cool instead of, you know, just playing I don't know, Duke Ellington yeah. or whatever, which is very cool. But at the time, you know, it was like, oh God, another Duke Ellington song. You know, it was like that. <laughs> right. It, it, when you're, when you're 15, it, it might seem a little tired or old fashioned or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. I think it, to... I think that was the thing. I, I had that, that crappy view that it was old fashioned at the time, I think. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what teenagers are for. They're, they're there to despise the old and create something <laughs> new. Yeah, I mainly despising the old. Maybe that's the the crowning teenage achievement. Yeah, <laughs> it leads to the other stuff. Hopefully, hopefully, yes. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it's you mentioned playing bass. The first time I well became I saw you, uh, you were playing bass for Megaphone, who is a a band that I I still love quite a bit uh, and miss. Um, I miss them too. They were, yeah. They're so good. Tell Phil I said so. Um, I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
they're they they're Wisconsin guys, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they they transplanted to North Carolina. Did you transplant at the same time or thereabouts? No, I came I came much later because they. I mean, I only played. I was kind of their touring bass player and electronics guy for the last like year and a half, two years of of them being a band. It was just the last record right. they put out. Um. So I, I was, they had moved a long time. I think they moved in like 2006 or 2007. Um, and I was still in Wisconsin at the time. Um, and playing in other bands and another band I was, I was playing in was coming through, uh, Chapel Hill and Brad hit me up to see if they could open. And that was, I think Megaphone's like second real show, oh, wow. uh, was opening up for, uh, this band Decibel that I was in way back in the day. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. I saw them a number of times. I saw them several times uh, before I saw you in the group. And then you relocated sometime in between. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, like we we had been friends. I met those guys when I was like 18, uh, like in a freshman in college. And we had just been friends the entire time. And when they started that band, I just always thought that band was kind of a high watermark of, you know, what you could do with structured improvisation in a, you know, a folk music context. Um, they're, they're still, I think still those records are just so far out and those tapes too. If you look up the kind of, I think NYC taper has a few tapes. Um, I, but they were I made a couple myself. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I mean, they just like, I, before I was in the band, uh, that was always that those were my friends who I thought were doing the most interesting uh, stuff in that, in that zone, in the, like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a different set most nights and the jam sections really go in different directions all the time. And it's, you know, they were a very present band in that way. Um, and so they were always kind of somebody I wanted to play with and we were, we were always, uh, friends. And then when they made that last record, I think they realized they need another person. And I kind of was like, you know, Hey, p- please take me out. Like I, <laughs> I really want to do this. <laughs> yeah. Outstanding. And soon after that, you know, Megaphon uh, parted ways to go on to other projects. Uh, and soon after that, they, um, or I got word that you, I think they they actually promoted your next project, which I think was uh, Made of Oak. It's uh, an electronic yeah. music project that you were doing. Yeah, I had, I mean, that was kind of like a catch-all name I have always used for any time I was doing something by myself. Uh, but it wasn't until after they stopped touring that, that I, uh, you know, like made a, I made an EP and that was also when Amelia and I started working together it was kind of right around all that same time. Right. So I read some of that background and, uh, I guess she hit you up to mix one of her tracks and that yeah. she recorded. Yeah. We had played together. She's uh, in a fantastic band called Mountain Man, um, that are, who are all in the other room having dinner right now, by the way. Um, <laughs> but they, uh, they, um, uh, yeah, I did a remix for them. I opened for them, up, you know, forever ago in Milwaukee when I lived there and, uh, we kind of became fast friends and, uh, she asked me to remix a song of theirs. And then that went so well that we just kind of kept in contact and started working on more stuff. And that was kind of right towards the end of, when Megaphon decided not to uh, tour anymore was was right when we were kind of really getting serious about making a record. And that came out under the name of Sylvan Esso. Yeah, that's right. 
and I I haven't I hadn't listened to some of that material for a little bit, so I dug back into it in preparation, and it it's really it, it's it's terrific how you know you provide this electronic beds, but her voice has such soul and humanity. Oh yeah, to it that um, it really sets it apart from a lot of what otherwise might be you know just. I don't want to say it's club music or dance music or just electronic music. It's something else. It's great. It's nice synthesizer music and all, but this fusion of your sounds is greater than the sum. Yeah. I mean, thanks, man. That's like, you know, the whole goal for us is how do we make something that, uh, you know, I think I think when we usually call ourselves a pop band, but to us the interesting part is that it feels we we want everything to feel very human and uh real. You know, I think a lot of of music that gets that same label uh feels you know, inhuman. It it feels uh you know, perfected in a way that I feel like doesn't represent my experience as a human (laughs) you know things get like oversimplified and and kind of dumbed down and uh, and that makes sense because you have to in communicating a message sometimes means making it simpler uh and that's not to you know discount that music but we just have always thought that there was a there was a space there for music in that world that uh dove into how messy and complicated being a person is well, I think you guys managed to find it, and it seems like other people are picking up on that, so that's <laughs> that's terrific. <laughs> but uh, that actually leads right, in my mind, to where we are now and why we're really here, is to talk about your new record with Chris Rosenau, Bluebird, because you talked about making something that sounds human and simple, although... Yeah, I might use the word minimalist myself because it doesn't it's not simple, it's just not over complicated, it's not overdone and it's also immediate. Um this record is uh I guess it's recorded in over a course of a couple of days and as I understand it it's basically live in the in a home type studio. Yeah, that- we did the whole I mean we 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 have always improvised together and we just wanted to make a record of that that feeling so we it's it's just two days and we wrote and recorded everything uh just as you hear it you know that's we we'd improvise until we kind of found the thread of a thing and then the minute it felt exciting we'd stop and we'd go hit record and and that's what the record ended up being uh so yeah we we wanted to make something that felt very immediate and and uh that embraced that nature of kind of jamming and improvisation. And you guys, this uh, stemmed from some performances originally. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. We had, so uh, Justin Vernon, another Wisconsin dude, because all Wisconsin people know each other. Um, <laughs> his, he has this festival called uh, Eau Claire's uh, up in Eau Claire, where he's from. Um, every year they actually didn't do it this year, but they've, they've done it four years in a row uh, outside of this summer. And, um, that was the first place we did this. We had played in bands together before I'd played in Chris's band collections, colonies of bees a bunch, and he'd helped me on a bunch of projects. Um, but, uh, that festival is, and, and if anybody hasn't gone, uh, I would highly recommend it. It's, it's my favorite festival. 
Um, and for this exact kind of reason, they, they, when they booked us all, uh, cause me and Amelia played as Sylvanesso. And so I was going to be up there and Chris was there with collections of colonies of bees, his other band. Um, and they sent us out an email being like, Hey, if anybody wants to do anything, that's not their normal set, just let us know. And we'll make a rehearsal space and a venue happen. Um, wild. Yeah. And I mean, can you imagine that happening at like Coachella? Like, it's just not a thing that happens. I, I, I was, um, for my other podcast, the Broke Down podcast, I was ruminating uh, in my uh, latest episode about sort of that very thing. I was talking about how Woodstock 50 hadn't happened and then, you know, what the value of Woodstock and maybe you know, what was missing from that festival at that time is it had all these amazing artists, but you know what you don't have from at Woodstock 50 years ago? There's no sit-ins, there's no crossover, there's no real interaction from all those artists. And there are not many places where that does happen. That's Um, a really good point. I'd never thought about that, about the original Woodstock, but that's totally true. And it kind of goes against the remembered spirit of that festival. You know, kind of the... Yeah. Well, any Eau Claire's really does that, which is the coolest thing. Uh, they, uh, yeah. And they encourage it. And we like Chris texted me kind of right after we got that email and was like, Hey, would you want to do a thing? We won't be able to rehearse. We'll just, I'll just have to fly in and we'll just do it. And I was like, sure. And they, they just gave us, a, a, you know, an hour long set in a geodesic dome on the top of a hill. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was great, you know, and it was, uh, and we just had a blast. And then we did it every year after that. I think we got rained out maybe the last year. But that getting rained out was what made us want to make the record because we felt like we got robbed, you know? Oh, wow. Well, yeah, um, yeah well, we then all benefit because <laughs> I, I haven't heard any of these live sets, but this thing is, it's just terrific. So there's a word I haven't used to talk about it, which is uh, ambient. Yeah, um, sure. Which I think applies. It really... The record captures the space and time and moment. Um, and what, what kind of, do you have influences? What kind of, who, where did you learn about electronic music? What was, what were you listening to, uh, to that steered you into playing with these kinds of sounds? Oh, I mean, I don't, it's tough to say. I feel like where this, where I'm at now with, how I use that stuff and how I play is like, is this point in like a, you know, 20 year long journey with that stuff. So, so it's tough to, you know, it's tough to like limit it to, to one thing. Uh, I think, you know, like when I was, when I was much younger, um, uh, bands like Autiker, who I think are still doing, crazy stuff, uh, in this, in this world, that, that band, uh, the band Moom, um, you know, there's all the, all these groups that I think changed the way I thought about how an electronic record could sound. I think, you know, when I was a kid or when I was a teenager, especially kind of in the, you know, mid to late nineties, um, you know, if, if you just, if you just said the word electronic music, you were probably listening to like, you know, Paul Oakenfold's transport volume one or something like that. You know, it was like, or it was like on the, on the great end of it, it was, you know, Portishead and Massive Attack. Um, so, so discovering like Warp Records and, uh, you know, Mute and all these kind of like weirder, 
labels uh, when I started working at record stores was really an eye-opening experience because it, it showed me that like this wasn't at all that this didn't have to be about what I thought it had to be about. You know, it didn't have to be about this like uh, thing, which is like you know, no shade on that. That's great, but like it could be personal and it could be you know weird and it it could feel human it could it could be a different thing you know so that's that's like started this huge journey into uh electronics i mean like at the time i first started hearing that stuff bass and saxophone were my primary instruments and then kind of over the course of the last like decade and a half two decades it's it's this has become my main instrument and i don't even know if i can really say what this is <laughs> that's fair you that's know? fair yeah i was um, uh exchanging emails with somebody today i said oh i'm going to be talking to nick sanborn about that that uh bluebird record and he's like yeah oh man you should ask him what kind of gear he's using i said i wouldn't <laughs> know you could make up words and you know um, yeah i mean i get, i'm happy to run you through it but i don't think it's yeah, like it's it, like that it, kind of like it, i worry that that kind of like misses the point a little bit i i think that especially with electronic stuff you can get caught up in the gear um it's like uh what did you ever see the uh, pink floyd live at pompeii this oh yeah interview segment where roger waters is very defensively saying you know it's not about the synthesizer you don't buy a synthesizer and become pink floyd so um <laughs> and <laughs> well, that's true i'm not right? sure i'd go quite roger waters on it but i, I guess i worry <laughs> that that people are too con- and myself included i i'm guilty of the same thing but you get locked into this idea that um that the the piece of equipment is the thing that that did it or that right. that solved the problem for you and that's just like never the case if anything a piece of equipment i think uh puts you farther away from the finish line uh of you know of like trying to communicate an emotional reality which you know isn't that kind of the whole point um yeah because because i feel like every time i get a get some pedal or whatever the fuck um you know, I, I think I'm doing it thinking, oh, this is going to unlock a thing for me. But what it really does is mean like, well, I have to learn how to express myself through this thing now. And that's this whole, <laughs> it's a whole other instrument I have to learn. You know, I yeah. spent, it's it's an additional you know, layer to filter Yeah, through. I spent, spent yeah. 20 years getting good at playing bass and I think I can just buy a sampler and that's going to solve all my emotional problems. Like, no, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I mean, I think. Not. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. But so I, I get, con- that's the only reason I hesitate to really delve into it is that I feel like, you know, like even kids like with, especially with like the Sylvanesso stuff, you know, I'll get kids being like, oh my God, what did you use for this sound? And I'll try to, I like won't remember, you know, and like right. not to, not to be, not even trying to be shitty about it or anything. It's just like, I like, I don't, I don't totally remember what it what It was like, five years ago. Like, I don't remember, um, you know, for whatever song they're talking about. Um, and I'll be like, well, I, I you know, it sounds like, it sounds like a two yeah. oscillator synthesizer. One of them's a square wave and one of them's a saw and one's tuned a fifth above the other. And then you kind of low pass it about here. Like, that's what I would guess. It's probably like that. <laughs> that's They're always kind of disappointed. <laughs> oh man. Uh, and I'm kind of like, no man, no it's the magic. It, yeah, it's like, but it's the con. It's like the idea is the important thing, like the concept of the sound or the concept of the musical idea. Like that's the important part, and I think you can. I think it's easy to, to lose that in the, and think that like, well, this, this 
Moog Voyager is the answer. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Well, I I still play the same acoustic guitar I've been playing for 30 years, so See, that's <laughs> I something think- I kind of love about that though is that like, you know, guitar guys can get into, you know, what acoustic guitar you're using and what pickup and all that stuff. But that conversation is so short. Like I love how short it is. <laughs> <laughs> it can be, unless you, have you ever watched a rig rundown with a guy. No, like I guess Brandon that's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've watched a lot of rig rundowns, but you know what I mean. It's like yeah. I feel like yeah. I feel like no one's looking for, um, you know, the the ultimate answer. Like even with Trey, you know, people are like, well, it's kind of the Ross compressor and a tube screamer, and that's. <laughs> that's right. the deal he's just a great guitar or, player or, like <laughs> you know just this tour's flavor thereof yeah um, right right so yeah let's let's back up and talk about uh you mentioned that you got into fish in high school is that did i hear that right yeah yeah i uh my first show was um uh alpine 98 august 1st 98 when i was ah. i must have been i was 15 yeah that's a that's a good start. So Alpine. I mean, so a, I had a feeling, talk about a lucky first show to go to. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, Alpine, of course, I knew was a given for a Wisconsin guy. Oh yeah, but uh, <laughs> and then '98 tour. I mean, those are that. So that's a time frame when Fish was actually exploring uh, more ambient jams, but also they were doing a lot of um, you know a lot of interesting covers on that summer tour. Yeah, well, and I'm that was I, I think one of my big takeaways from that show, uh, and it was also kind of they were playing all the story of the ghost stuff. That was kind of they were bringing it all out then, you know, like that's right. when you know Brian and Robert showed up, and um, but yeah, I mean, even looking back, I think you know it's you, any fan of any band, there's there's no way to know if, when the arc is that long. There's no way to know, uh, you know, ideally how lucky you are that you're in a certain zone when you get in. I mean, that was like right after the Island tour, which I think still looking back is probably my, my favorite shows to go back and listen to. Um, but it was just a, I mean, it was a, I mean, what an era, you know, like so many totally complete shows. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's like that. And I still think that space is the thing that keeps me coming back to that band that, that, uh, you know, very kind of spacey, emotional, uh, those jams are, I think, the thing that really hooked me. You know, like, uh, you know, like when Ghost would get way out or, or Hood. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, that, that kind of space was the stuff that, like, that really got me back then and still. So were you regularly seeing them through your college years and whatnot? And, Yeah. I mean, I saw them consistently. Uh, I never went on tour. Uh, I did, you know, I would do maybe two nights in a row, uh, but I never toured. Um, but yeah, I saw them. Gee, I mean, I mean, let's say 15 times between then and when they took the hiatus, something like that. Okay. You know, like not, not a, not a crazy number, but like I was definitely going every chance I got, you know, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, Alpine, what's it? God, first thing you saw was uh, what Ramble On was the first yeah. song. That's a, Which was great, too, because, like, I mean, I, I kind of, I had heard a live one, but I didn't really, you know, I think they're a daunting, they're like fucking Fugazi, man. They're a daunting band for a newcomer, 
especially back then when like all the information wasn't at your fingertips, you know, like it wasn't, uh, there wasn't the instant doorway into all of the deep cut knowledge that there is now, you know, like, um, not to sound like an old guy, but you know, it, it, it sound, it was so much more mysterious. Um, yeah, you, you, you really had to work to learn about things and you had to literally network with the, you know, people out there in the world to get, to get tapes and to hear oh, stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was a, the, the bar for entry was high, you know? And so, um, I think that was the thing I was mostly taken with was just the, how intensely their fans loved them and then how deep you could immediately tell that the well was, you know, especially as a kid who was, you know, getting really into bass and jazz at the time, uh, you know, and practicing like hours and hours a day. Uh, it was like this, this glimpse into this whole world where like, that was a thing that people gave a shit about, um, in a totally different way than I was used to. Um, and so then like going to that show with friends kind of being like getting dragged there with friends a little bit, and then having them open with, I think they opened with Ramble On, and then they closed yep. with... Uh, uh, Been Caught Stealing? Yeah, Jane's Addiction. And yeah. Tweets a Reprise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow, good. Yeah, good one. Yeah, and I remember at the time, like, I had heard that song on the radio, but I didn't know who it was. I mean, I was 15, you know? Um, That's fair. So, so I remember being like, I didn't think this was them. Like, is this, like, did they save this song for the encore? Because it's like, they're single right now, you know? Like, I was, like, confused about it. <laughs> did anybody <laughs> and then it, sort you out? Yeah, well, and also at the time, I mean, like, think about who, who else to this day is coming out and outside of like Steve Earle is coming out and encoring with a song that's like currently on the radio that isn't theirs. Right. You know, like it was just this, it was like, it's, it was just so it's, it, it was so confident and so fun, you know, like, I think that was the thing that kept bringing me back was like how good it was and how the whole thing seemed to be about like resonant joy and, and I well, like that just, I, that, I mean, that one show then sent me to, on a, you know, a 20 year odyssey of going to see them. <laughs> I'll tell you, I was, um, I was home. I didn't go to that show and I was so sad to see they covered, well, Ramble On was enough, but then to yeah. see that they covered, cause I, I loved Jane's Addiction when I was in high school and we didn't, yeah. Jane's Addiction was broken up at the time. So I was of course absolutely floored to see they had just played that, um. Yeah, so fortunately, I got to see a couple others that tour, but <laughs> so uh, have well, you when seen they really them? kill? I mean, listening back, they really kill Ramble on like a few nights later, right? I think it's like a week later that's like the like the canon version of that song. Yeah, I've been dipping back into uh, kind of ninety eight, ninety nine, 
lately. I, I went to a show. I went to uh, October second at the Target Center in '99. Oh, cool! Um, and that show, I hadn't gone back to in a long time. And that is one that, if anybody out there is looking for a '99 show to dip into, that they maybe that maybe isn't an obvious one. That's like such a complete show. That is like that is an amazing. So, like perfect set one, perfect set two. Yeah, that's set two. It's uh, what, Tweezer on your way down, Piper. Yeah, enjoy myself, Frankenstein yeah. waste. Yep. Wow. Oh, yeah, exactly. And it's it's like perfectly emotionally arced. You know, even set one, like right when they bring in Rage, you're uh, you're like ready for a breath. You know, it's like it's like not uh, it's not the kind of classic thing we all love to complain about when like the show's really cooking and then you know they play a downer you know it's like it's the opposite of that but even that like yeah. the end of tweezer the way you know mike starts teasing on your way down and they all pick it up it just feels like not that i not that i don't like the shows when trey's really running the ship but like it really feels like everyone is there on that show and like the it it feels like it can go anywhere and all the transitions just land so hard it's great always that the best pi- when they're all uh, driving the ship together. Yeah, oh yeah. And that Piper is like one for the books, man. It's just, it's insane. Yeah, Birds of a Feather jams in that one apparently. Yeah, oh so, yeah. Yeah. I gotta ask, have you seen you? I I mean, you're a touring musician now yourself. Do you have you had time to go see them since they've been back? I have, so I went to I went to uh, two, the, both the nights at Alpine in 09 like right when they came back. Oh, cool. Um, and then, and then I didn't, and then I was basically, I've been on the road so consistently since then that I didn't get to see them until, uh, the Baker's Dozen. Um, which, which night was, did you go to? Uh, Jamfeld. I got, I just got lucky. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Outstanding. 
Um, so, I mean, and that was like, you know, I hadn't seen him in, I mean, that was what, 2017. So I hadn't seen him in eight years. And, uh, and we were, we were in town, me and Amelia were in town playing Celebrate Brooklyn. Um, and, uh, we were like, oh, we gotta, we gotta go. Like, let's, let's get tickets. And we just randomly got them for the Tuesday because it was the one night we could go. And then it ended up being that show. Um, and it was Can just I ask, amazing. Is she a fan or simply fan adjacent? No, she's, she is fan adjacent, but, okay. um, like she's down, you know, like she, she's, cool. uh, like ready, like, you know, that she was like, oh, you want to go? Like, I'll totally go. Like, and, uh, um, you know, like I think being, uh, this proximal to a fan, uh, she now like knows, you know, a lot of songs. Like she can tell from the <laughs> intro of a thing, you know, she, she has favorites. She has. Yeah. So like for somebody that's who cool. I think would not have been into it had, and then maybe that's like a lot of people. I mean, there's such a, there's such a specific band, you know? I mean, and I think it, um, it takes... <laughs> a certain uh, outlook to immediately embrace them. And otherwise it, it might take longer or it might never happen, you know? Um, and, and most of us need somebody to show, show them the door. Well, Very also cause there, I mean, there's I just come so much entirely by themselves. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah. I mean, there's so much and the, the doorway is a different door for everyone. Yeah. You know, that's a thing I, th- I love thinking of, I love about that band. And I, I, I think about all my favorite bands is that their their work spans such a breadth of like the human experience that that figuring out how to show you know a certain person why they would like them is it takes some thinking like i love that about them yeah and that's beautifully stated as well uh can i ask i don't know that we've gotten this uh from you is there a single song, if you were to take one fish song to carry with you? <sighs> I mean, that's such a tough question. I, I know uh, it's it, it's not fair. <laughs> it's not. I mean, I mean, it, and the the question to me is like, I feel like am I taking a jam or am I taking a song? Sometimes I I, I would I would leave that open to interpretation. I, I, I mean, I I, I wouldn't I, want to impose any more rules. Yeah, I mean, I I think. I think if I if I had to split it, or if I was going to split it, which makes it easier, I'd say that Train Song is probably the song that has affected me on every level, uh, at every wow. age. I just, I mean, that's just like a, that's just a near perfect song, I think. Um, but then you know, the I I just keep coming back to Hood, which I I know is like super vanilla, but like, man, does that not that song just every time they break it out, it just tells you everything that is great about them. And that jam does the thing that I think I love that they do more than any other band, which is that, that space, that emotional quiet space that that jam starts, um, where it feels like it feels like when the sun rises on like the first morning of spring, you know, where it's just like, everything's just waking up. Like that quietness is just a thing that, is my it's just one of my favorite emotional places that that band goes, you know. Wow, yeah, um, I I'm with you. I think Hood would be one of my top five, and I think the 
the placement thereof just depends on which day you ask. So <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's totally um, true, and it. I mean, I, I rotate constantly. I mean, we're as, as fans of of this band. I think we're you know spoiled with the amount of material we have to go through on any given day. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of an embarrassment of of riches. It's insane. Yeah. And, and so it's, 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 to me, it's, uh, I definitely go through, I mean, like all of us, I'm sure I go through phases of, you know, what I'm, uh, what I'm digging into and what angle I'm looking at in the archives, uh, and in any, you know, six month period of, you know, any year of my life or whatever. Um, but that, that's probably, those two have probably been the most consistent as far as like, I think if they, if they drop train song in a show or like, you know, like, a uh, swept away steep combo you know like that that space kind of that that zone of billy breeze i think is my favorite thing that they do um yeah there's something about what they were doing when they made that record actually it's um it's unlike anything they've ever really put out with that kind of intent and yet it's really just buried they they were so you know they were recording you know, note for note, you know, just like, I'll record a passage, then you go in and record a passage, and you might could delete a passage, but then you can record a passage, and just making this insane collage, of which there's really only a brief... A minute? Yeah. Yeah, a brief bit on the record, but I think that uh, intense inward gaze really set their minds in a certain way that everything else they put into that record just came out well, yeah, I mean, I think it it really sounds like a record made in the wintertime, you know? Uh, and I, I think, you know, like, you know, if I were going to, you know, if I, like, produced a Fish record now, I think that's that's one thing that I think I would push them to do again, is is find the quiet moments to counterbalance kind of the larger moments. Uh, just because I feel like that the balance, to me, is what makes them such a great band. Uh, yeah you know, between all these different elements, you know, which is why it's so hard to like show someone the band because it's like, well, it's not really about a song. It's not, you know, there's, there's no one thing. I mean, we might be able to say this now we we can talk about the yams or the whatever, you know, this far into it, but that's only because we know, we know so much and have listened to so much, uh, like showing somebody who doesn't know what it is, a song. I mean, what are you even, you're giving them a sliver of of the thing you're giving them a, a tiny slice of this whole pie you know um even to even to expand it to just play them a show you really only exactly and even <laughs> then you're asking them so for much. like three hours of their life you know like it's like, right. <laughs> all right this is a tiny example of what they can do it's three hours oh no they've they, this is nothing yeah yeah, yeah. they're <laughs> the <laughs> so the breadth of the catalog they're capacity for dynamics just in and out of you know any even in a single song not to mention across you know uh, a, a show or even within a whole tour yeah is uh it can be it's daunting but it it is goddamn terrific but i mean yeah it's a thing i keep coming back to it with that breath idea is is um uh the silliness, which I think is a really divisive uh, element of the band, uh, it's critical. It's critical. It's so important, and and it's it's. 
I think that uh, a, th- a thing I think about a lot and think that when I'm like talking slash arguing with my friends about the band, um, a th- this is a, th- a point I come back to all the time, which is that, um, you know, my life as a human being is just full of silliness. Like silliness is such an important ripple in my emotional existence. Like it's, it's such a huge part of, of how I process the world. Uh, but it is almost non-existent in representation in a lot of the music that I listen to. You know, I mean, like I, I can't think of that many other bands that embrace silliness as a key part of the human experience, you know, and, and, and not even in like a ween way, you know, or even like a, they might be giants way who I think are even a, a closer band as far as like the way they, interpret silliness as a counterpoint to, uh, kind of resonant sadness. Uh, but like, like they really, they thread it in the same way it's, it's in at the same proportion that it is a, a threaded into your life, you know, and they don't shy away from it, even though it's like, has gone from objectively uncool to just mildly uncool <laughs> in popular culture. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, yeah, they've they've really been unashamed, unabashed about being their I, I wanna say true, and I think it's true ish, uh silly, goofy selves on top of in addition to or you know, along with their uh virtuosic musicianship and whatnot. Um, yeah. And and I think anybody who is a you know, serious fish fan, serious being probably the wrong word in this element of the conversation, but anybody who is a a committed fish fan has has to to be able to appreciate it. It baffles me every now and then when I come across somebody who just doesn't get or enjoy the the gags, the, the ridiculousness that is inherent to so much of what fish does. Well, I think it requires, and I think a, a thing that has really made me embrace it in my adult life rather than in my kind of teenager 20-something life is that it, it that to me is, is started to be kind of a marker of somebody who hasn't really figured their shit out. Not that you like will love fish if you figured your shit out, but. Well, um, I mean, it's a certainly a good sign. No. but like i think that there's you know i i listen i'm sure we all did listen to analyze fish uh and and i think that that argument even though it was you know tongue-in-cheek most of the time and in jest uh there's a there's a truth to that argument that was happening there in this central kind of duality between uh harris and scott which is uh you know i i feel like on one hand harris and this is a thing that I didn't even think about until listening to this podcast, but like that he was always looking for something to enjoy in the music that, that he, that that was his first instinct. And Scott was always looking for something to mock or insult in the music. And listening to that, I just realized like, I know which one of these people I want to be in my day-to-day life. Like if, yeah. if and, and you know, again, not trying to insult Scott Ackerman, but like it, to me, it, it became a worldview thing 
especially with art. I mean, obviously this doesn't translate into much else, but like, I'm just not super interested in if somebody doesn't like something. I don't think it's a very interesting point of view. Uh, yeah. I, generally speaking. I, spending a lot of time on the internet, I see that a lot and I have, um, and I, I'm sure I've done my share of that. In the oh, past, me too. I've been making a very conscious effort over the past number of years to, uh, if I don't like something, that's that's okay, but I'm not going to spend time talking about how bad it is or whatever because other people like it and that's good for them. Well, and, and why I, why would I, especially I if have, it's if it's if it's not political if it doesn't have greater ramifications you know right. what good could possibly come of me ruining that person's experience exactly you know, like plus i can spend my energy talking about the thing that i do like yeah which is a lot more fun and will put out you know much a better vibe into the world well and also it's it's like i mean if i'm listening to you talk i'd so much rather get a window or, or have you show me the doorway into an enjoyable experience I otherwise would have never been able to access, you know, like, I, like yeah. maybe, you know, like I, there's so much stuff that, uh, that people talking positively about it has encouraged me to experience that I never would have done otherwise, uh, because it just wouldn't have, it wouldn't have, you know, gotten into my world. It wouldn't have been a part of my, my, my life, you know, um, yeah. I just, I, the more I, the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, that's just so much more interesting. Like show me how to, how I could enjoy something if I, if I have the capacity to enjoy it. That's just so much more interesting to me. I think I, I give Scott Ackerman a little bit of credit that I think he was also trying to entertain us and he did it. Oh, hundred. That's, and that's why I, <laughs> I don't really want to criticize. I mean, he was, you know, right. he was playing a role. Exactly. Uh, and and he was trying to make us laugh. And he did, you know. He did. I don't he know. He did a great job of it. Thank you. Thank you for coming on and sharing us uh sharing with us your, your thoughts on fish and your record, Bluebird, which we will play a track from after this, I think. And I, I think everybody's gonna love it. I love it. Um and it, it dovetails nicely with our talking about fish from ninety-eight, uh back when Fish was exploring more ambient sounds. I mean, they played an entire ambient set at oh, yeah. Wheel that year. Yeah. Um so different different sounds, but I think relatable to our listeners. I think people will really enjoy it. Well, and, you know, um, I, just real quick before we dip out, please. one thing that uh, I feel like uh, might resonate with other people like me who love this band is just that uh, in that New York Times interview Trey uh, put out a couple weeks ago, which I think most of us read, um, one thing that he said that really stuck with me was uh, talking about, uh, you know, when he'd go out to dinner with young bands and they'd talk about how their favorite, uh, in, their biggest influences were bands from the 60s and whatever, and how he was wondering kind of what the future of like jam and improvisation music might be. That's, I loved that he said that because that's a thing that like I and my friends think about and talk about like all the time. Uh, just like what, you know, what is the nature, what is the difference between the thing we're all talking about and maybe other forms of improvisation, you know, where are the, where are the blurred lines and, and what could it look like moving forward? Um, and that was the thing me and Chris talked about all the time when we were making this record is just like, how, how can we make something that's totally accessible and yet totally improvised and free? 
Well, I, I think you've done a, a great job doing that. And I, yeah, I, I <laughs> I'm not blowing smoke when I say I listen to this all the time. Uh, oh, thanks, man. I, I came to it a while ago. I really do love it. Um, and uh, yeah, I think folks will too. So thank you for joining us. This, is, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate the show. So that was, uh, once again, that was Nick Sanborn uh, talking with Jonathan. Jonathan, thanks for bringing us that interview. That was fascinating. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And again, folks, you can get this record at rosenowsanborn.com. I won't bother to spell it again. Check the show notes. Uh, It's probably right there on your phone. And uh, we're going to play everybody one song from this, and then we're going to go. So before we do... Let me remind you to check us out on the social media. You know us. We're on HF Pod at Twitter and all of those things. We're on Facebook. And uh, you can subscribe to us on Spotify. I think that's a thing nowadays, right? Yeah, absolutely. Get, uh, getting a, a, quite a few people listening to us on Spotify now. So thank you for that. So, yeah, you could be one of them. And then, um, yeah, leave us a review wherever that is possible on your favorite platform. And thanks for listening. This is Rose Now and Sanborn gentle guy. Thanks again. Oh, jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!